Let's just go. Let's just do it. Let's just go. Oh my gosh. What a day. What a day. What a day. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, everybody, where we make today make sense. I am Kai Rizdahl. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us for What Do You Want to Know Wednesday, the day in the week where we answer listener questions. And if you have a question about the economy or business or technology or culture or any of those things that you hear us talk about on this podcast, um, email us, would you? Make me smart at marketplace.org or leave us a voicemail. Uh, our number is 508-U-B, the letter U, the letter B, smart. <laughs> Our first question today is actually a follow-up from uh, last week's news about the Student Loan Forgiveness Program. Hi, this is Chris in Baltimore. Um, I have a question about the new Student Loan Forgiveness Program, but I should start off by saying that last year I paid off my student loans, which I was very excited about Mm -hmm. and very proud of being able to do. Um, But I'm I'm really excited that other people can get the the help that they need. Um, But my question is, Everyone keeps talking about that this program will increase uh, inflation, which I don't really get. Mm-hmm. Do they think that we're going to take that extra money and just go wild on Amazon? Um, that, that wasn't the case for me. It, it, the money then went to other bills. Thanks for making me smart. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. So, look, that's a really good question. It's very much in the zeitgeist on this thing. And there are some uh, economists, Larry Summers most prominently among them, as uh, former Secretary Summers uh, tends to be, is prominent when he's got a dissenting view, who say, listen, this will definitely, well, I mean, come on, right? This will definitely increase inflation, and it's a terrible idea. Uh, Here's the reality of the student loan thing. So it's uh, uh, $300 billion, I believe, over 10 years is the cost of this program. That is to say, the amount of relief that is coming, the amount of spare money people will have in their pockets. That's $30 billion a year, which is in an economy worth $20 trillion, not a whole boatload of money. Also, it's Mm -hmm. really important to understand that this money is not people getting a check for the equivalent of their slice of $30 billion and going out and spending it, right? It's money that they are not going to pay on a monthly basis, and it's spread out over time. So let's be really clear that this is not just a huge injection of cash, as it was, say, when Congress passed any one of the COVID relief bills. So that's item number one. Item Mm -hmm. number two is that um, the uh, loan um, payment pause goes away at the end of this year. So there's going to be a whole tranche of people still paying on student loans who couldn't get relief or weren't eligible or what have you that will um, take money out of the economy. Is it going to counterbalance? I don't know. I don't think so. I haven't run, done that math. But the, the much larger point is this is a relatively small amount of money in a ginormous economy. So the effect on inflation will, I believe, and many others as well, believe will not be all that pronounced. That's well, and also that pause that you were talking about on student loan repayments, people have been not paying on their student loans for so long that them continuing to not pay it means that the right. impact on inflation would be negligible anyway. And so right. we're not actually going to have a change where suddenly people stop paying. It's going to be that suddenly yep. people are paying again, just not as much as they would have had to. Excellent point. Great point. Great point. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Larry, electric vehicles begin. Hi, this is Larry from Staten Island. I love my EV. I love the rebates and the tax credits I got. My question is, where is the tax money going to come from to maintain our roads that is now collected when we buy gasoline, when we all convert Mm -hmm. to EVs? And my second question is, 
We know that Kai was raised in Briarcliff Manor, New York. So where does all <laughs> y'all that. come from? Please make oh, me smart about question. both of these pressing issues. Bye. Well, all, right. all right, you take you, you take ours. <laughs> I'll take the second one. Yeah. All right. So this is actually something that comes up pretty commonly when people are talking about the switch to EVs. So it's a good thing to to talk about. As um, Larry was saying, just about all states and the federal government rely on gas taxes to maintain the roads that we rely on, that businesses rely on, that are the arteries of commerce in our country. And so fuel taxes account for about 84 percent of the federal highway funds and about 29 percent of state highway funds. So yes, if electric vehicle drivers are not paying for gas, that means less funds to pay for the roads. But there are some states um, like California and lots of others that have already started thinking about this and they're charging an additional electric car registration fees, fees so that EV owners can help pay for roads and repairs and maintenance costs. And But depending on where you live, that fee could be much higher than the gas tax um, or lower. But if it's higher, then you're effectively punishing EV drivers rather than incentivizing them. So uh, that's right. that part. Right. But I'm going to leave the all y'all <laughs> for you, Kai. <laughs> where does right. that come from? I, I, I did, in fact, spend a, a good part of my formative years in Briarcliff Manor, New York, which is uh, in Westchester County, just north of Manhattan. Uh, but I went to school down in Atlanta, mm. Atlanta, Georgia. And while I did not pick up a taste for grits, I did develop an affinity for y'all and all y'all. I, I try not to use it too much, but it, it but it can be uh, good and and a, and a nice collective noun, I believe. So that's you know, yeah. That's I, I mean, and in this. Um more recent effort of lots more people getting on board with gender neutral terminology and more inclusive terminology. Y'all is right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's totally true. That is actually yeah. a really good question. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well then, uh, yeah. Next up is a question from Leola on Twitter. She says, my brain stops every time I hear at scale. I guess I must be used to hearing mm. at large slash small scale, etc. I see it has a business meaning, but I hear it in the nonprofit word world too. Please explain. Yeah, that's such a good question because look, it's really become kind of lingo-y, kind of jargony, right? Mm. Kind of kind of like in the know. Like, hey, that's a great plan. Is it can you execute at scale, right? Uh, and what it what it fundamentally means, if you look in the dictionary, it says to grow or expand in a proportional and usually profitable way from maritime from Merriam-Webster, right? Um, nonprofits use it. Business for-profit businesses use it. Just think, grow, right? Grow mm -hmm. in a steady, even maintainable way. When people talk about scale, what they mean? Can you execute at scale? Means can you do this in a way that will sustain? Not sustainability, yeah. but sustain. That will feed on itself. That's the easiest way to think about that one, I believe. Yeah, and also, like, bigger. So I remember having yeah. a conversation years ago with my friend about organic foods and how they were so expensive. And they it made it so that only rich people could buy organic food. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, rich people have to buy the organic food now so that those farms can start to operate at scale. Because once enough people buy it and they've got enough business, then they can scale up and make the product more affordable for everyone else, which is why mm -hmm. now you can find organic foods a lot more affordably than you used to 
because rich people bought them a while ago and created the business foundation for those operations to scale up. Right. Exactly. Good one. Yes. Uh, Colin in Singapore, uh, originally from California, we are told in our notes, here's what he says. Can you make me smart on why a credit score goes down, though I follow the credit rater's advice to the T? That is a great question. And credit scores matter. And good thing that there is somebody in this conversation who's not me who did <laughs> a whole series on credit scores. Oh my gosh, we dug so deep into credit scores over on the tech show. And we did have a conversation, a deep dive on Make Me Smart about them, which I'm sure will be in the show notes. But over on um, Marketplace Tech, we actually looked at the algorithms that generate credit scores, which are actually a bit of a black box. So yes, we know broadly what factors into a credit score, but how those different factors are weighted and what when the credit scoring, sorry, when the credit bureaus are checking for that information, a lot of that is proprietary or just unknown. So Mm -hmm. for starters, credit scores are supposed to indicate how likely it is that someone is going to pay back the money that they borrowed or how likely they are to default on a given loan. And so, yes, we know some of the things that you're supposed to do. You need to make your payments on time, use less than your allowable credit maximums on cards, pay your bills in full when you can, having the right mix of loans and credit cards and installment accounts. However, how much each of those things matters can differ because we all have different credit scores. Some of them you know about, some of them you don't. You can know about your FICO score, and maybe you know about your Vantage score, but what you might not also know is that your individual bank or credit card company might have their own score on you that's generated differently. And so these nuances are proprietary. That's their you know business proposition, and they keep it all secret. And that's why you end up with so many ideas and concepts, and here's how to raise your credit score ideas. We ran into one person during the credit score series, who found out that if she paid on her bills every single week, her credit score skyrocketed. Even though she was paying the same Mm. amount overall every month, just that weekly payment somehow tricked the algorithm into thinking she was doing better than she was. And so, you know, Mm. it kind of depends. Generally, if you need to have a higher credit score, do the basic things that the companies tell you to do, but also recognize that some of it is just unknowable. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a black box. Right. That's the deal. Uh, All right. Super quick uh, on this last one. It's for you. Here you go. The final question of the day comes from Jason R. on Twitter. And here's what he says. Kimberly, did you get any Star Wars questions in with LeVar Burton, whom you had on tech the other day? Hmm? I'm going to guess that Jason meant Star Trek. Um, (laughs) you know what's great is i didn't even pick up on that i'm just like i'm gonna read this i'm like freaking ron burgundy man just put it on the prompter and i'm gonna read it oh god Uh, i I hope i'm gonna get like i I can't look at my slack right now because i'm recording this inside of a car but i'm hoping that you're getting an urgent slack right now that that was a typo but anyway Uh, no i did not ask lavar burton any star trek questions um, I was very nervous. It's LeVar Burton. I mean, come on. <laughs> so I was very guy, much... He was so cool. I'll bet you you could have. You could have asked him a... a I'm Jordy, sure that right? I that could have, character? but we was had... It, was that his character? Jordy? What did... Jordy LaForge. What was his character's name? Jordy. There we go. Jordy. Jordy I mean, LaForge. Yeah. 
Um, but no, I, I had so many other things I wanted to ask him about children and literacy and all those other things. I did not get to my Star Trek questions, but I did ask him a bit about his podcast that he does, which I'm a huge fan of, which is called LeVar Burton Reads. And I was telling him how I was listening to his podcast throughout the pandemic while I was swimming. And he was, he, um, you know, he thought that was nice. So that was my little moment, which made me feel good. <laughs> and, and now what would you have buddies. asked LeVar Burton? You guys are buddies. I would have said, so, which do you like better, Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh, God. Oh, Actually, I, w- I, would ask him, I would ask him about Patrick. I would ask him about Patrick Stewart. Something about Patrick. I'm a big Patrick Stewart fan. He's a pretty cool yeah. actor, for sure. For yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, he's pretty cool, too. Uh, all right, we're going to get out of here. Kimberly's in a car. I'm in a sweat box. Uh, but that's a whole <laughs> different kind of podcast. We're done. Thanks for listening. Back tomorrow with news on a Thursday and some smiles as well. Yes. And in the meantime, do keep sending us your questions. You can email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org or leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART. Make Me Smart is produced by Marissa Cabrera. Olivia Zhao is our intern. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletters. Today's show was engineered with great patience by Juan Carlos Torado. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music, and our senior producer is Bridget Bodner. Poor Juan Carlos. He's been, like, testing out so many things with me this week, just trying to make me sound good on the radio slash podcast. Stepping up to help us out. Stepping up to help us out. There we go. Okay, thank you, host. It was a typo. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.